Hello. Good evening. Hi, Julie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Jan, you have to turn you up, dear. Uh, I have to turn me up? Yep. Uh, okay. Give me a second. Tools, options, video settings. Is, is this any better? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 8-10-2015. Um, with me is the president of CASA. Hi, Julie. How are you this evening? Hi, Jan. I'm doing great. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Julie. Um, you know, we really don't have a whole lot of calls to action, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> Yay. Well, we are going to get another one out probably tomorrow. It's okay. on the FDA labeling and um, warning language. But yes, it has been light for the last week, um, but but we've got a few more coming up. Yeah, it um, it's unusual to have that period of rest, but it's nice. And I think um, you've been active with CASA from the very beginning. Yep. It's yeah. been a long time. <laughs> it has six years. Julie Julie more. was the first person I ever had a conversation with about advocacy. And mm -hmm. I doubt she remembers that. I, you know, well, it seems like we've known each other forever, Jeannie. So I don't even know when that was because we always talk advocacy. But, yeah, I mean, CASA was actually formed in 2009, and um, formally incorporated, I guess, in 2010. Um, and I've been a part of it first just as an active member. Um, I actually voted for the first board of directors. Wow. That's that's going back. But Jan, I think you did too. And Jeannie, you're right in the same time frame as Jan and me, aren't you? Um, I, what, January the 8th was my five-year mark. Oh, you're a baby. And yeah, <laughs> and um, VaporCon one was actually the first vape meet or even vape shop that I had ever been to. Wow, I had never been to a meet of any kind or in a vape shop until after I was at VaporCon one. Well, I think you know when I joined, when I first started vaping, um, it was January of two thousand nine. So I'm at six and a half years now, and my first event was um, Vape Fest um, Midwest, Midwest Vape Fest, and that was in St. Louis, and we had like 200 people, and it was so exciting. <laughs> we, were, we just thought that was the biggest thing ever, 200 people. It, it was just amazing. Um, now I'm getting ready to head off to ECC this week, and I, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many people will be at that. So things have definitely changed quite a bit. Um, it, it really has grown. Um, if you were to look at the numbers, you probably know better than I do what the numbers have been all along. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we've been in the process of transferring um, all our corporate information and consolidating everything and updating our website and getting our new one going. So yes, I am the keeper of all numbers. And yep. I was going through our old email system, um, checking things out. And it turns out in September 2010, that's really the first record we have of an email going out using our constant contact system. Um, and we had 1,360 members in September of 2010. Wow. And um, I just thought that was amazing. Then in December of 2011, more than a year later, we had 1,000. 
514. So growth of like, oh, slightly under 200. And, and we were still pretty excited. Um, what is the number today? Well, this morning, the number was 68,469 members. Um, oh. And then I checked again this afternoon before I got on and, and we've grown by another 30. Wow. Today. So our, our growth has been, you know, really pretty significant. But that, that was something that Kassad really intentionally did. We spent the last year and a half intentionally working hard to grow our numbers um, because that's how you gain credibility when you're dealing with these regulators. It's um, kind of hard when you go in and say, oh, we represent a handful of people. <laughs> Um, you know, but the other thing too is by increasing our numbers, that incre- increases our reach, so that we're able to help more people activate um, in their area when something comes up. Um, back in the old days, oh gosh, um, and I know both of you will remember this. So we'd have this this call to action that would come out for you know, like I don't know, just say North Dakota, and right. we say, wow, we have like twelve members in North Dakota. <laughs> This is really, you know, we need help. And so we put out the call to action. We say, hey, everybody, our entire membership of, oh, I don't know, 2,000 people, help us, you know, help North Dakota and write your emails. And um, it it was a very heartfelt (laughs) approach, but um, really not particularly productive. Clearly, legislators primarily care about what the people who are voting for them think. Um, And so one of our our goals was to really grow so that we'd have enough numbers in a state in order to mount an effective um, campaign to kind of fight back against some of this really awful legislation. And we've been successful in that, I I think. Um, But yeah, wow, I still remember that. People like, oh, yes, I'm going to write a letter to help Wyoming, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know. I I think that was before we knew um, that... Uh, Oh yeah. This was kind of a numbers game that the way politicians really do stuff is by, you know, who who can keep them elected and in power and and they took real stock in the numbers. But I remember in the old days the calls to action they weren't quite as formatted. They kind of went out with talking points and you really had to, you know, write the emails yourself. And right. I, I know you wrote a lot of those. Yeah, those were the that was a deliberate strategy. Even mm-hmm. back then, we knew that our best bet, of course, was to have a pile of people from the state participating. Right. And there are two ways that you can make an impact. Um, one is just sheer numbers. So if you look at it that way, a form email just really doesn't matter. You know, they'll they'll look and say, oh, we've got. 3,715 opposed to this legislation. So it's just a numbers game. The other way to look at it, though, is in terms of individualized stories Mm -hmm. and individualized testimony. People, real people writing their real story to their legislators and explaining why this is such an important issue that, yes, I am taking the time to weigh in on this and, and share my thoughts with you. Well, we didn't have the numbers we you know there's only so much you can do um in the very beginning when everything's starting out but we did have people with a whole lot of passion and so we deliberately chose not to offer form emails because then you know if you only get a handful of form emails it's kind of um it looks pathetic 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest. Um, right. So it was a deliberate strategy on our part. And so the people who were participating in the calls to action in the early days were the ones who were, who were just so passionate that they took the time to put their story um, together and make a few points and send an email. Yeah, it well, wasn't just a, a push and click. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, now we have the Testimonials Project, which is, oh, I think, I love really... That. I like that. I mean, I think it's it's. I don't important. like it. I love it. I, it's I love it. Well, I, I what I like about it is when legislators ask, "Does this really help people?" You can point to those four thousand stories or five thousand stories or however many we're at now. I'm not really sure, and go almost to five thousand. Yeah, but we need more. We need we do. more um, because. Well, the reason why I love it is, like you said, um, the legislators are actually looking at it, um, and some of the testimonials are so profound and mm-hmm. um, I, 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 moving. I, there's no other word for it, um, that they they really are just incredibly powerful. Others, not so much. Um, but... But by and large, I mean these are these are just incredibly powerful stories, and legislators um, are looking at them, and we're starting to get the website um, out. Um, Brad Radu yeah. actually, um, you know, published something with the um, link to the testimonials, mm-hmm. and and it really is getting out there. But we need a lot more. Yeah. in order to counteract this this horrible charge that the other side makes, which is we are all anecdotes. Well, it's uh, kind of something they've always been saying. Um, yeah. It, now they're just very loud about it. Now yeah. it's now it's hurting their pocketbooks, so I think they're being louder about it. I, I yeah, had somebody ask me if my testimonial was true. And I'm like, <laughs> really? really? Why, why would I lie about that? Yeah. Well, you you crazy. well you had a, a real you had a life changing experience, yeah. Jeannie. You really did. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, why would I tell people I damn near died? <laughs> and I, I I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe it's I, because all the I'm ants too. think that we're all t- big tobacco shills. That's the only reason I, I can I, think I of that you would question check- somebody's testimonial. I want to know where my check is. If I'm a big tobacco shill, where's my check? <laughs> well, you know, the, the problem is, of course, that um, the people who make their living working for, um, you know, these anti-THR organizations, um, they get paid to do it. Now, yeah. a lot of the, actually, no, I'm not even going to say a lot of them, a fair number of them you know, are truly passionate about it and, and they think, you know, this is really awesome that I'm getting paid to do something that I really enjoy. But at the end of the day, they're, they're getting paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for them to conceive of people who are so passionate about something that they're doing it when there's nothing obviously, you know, that they're getting in return. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me because, you know, this is kind of a full-time job for me, um, yeah. even though, you know, I don't get paid. And, and um, yeah, they just they they just think, well, I wouldn't do that. Um, now, granted, I'm in a position where you know, we I don't have to get paid. Um, and not everybody is in that position. So, you know, it's not a swipe like that. But, yeah, I mean, this is something that people are passionate of, 
about that they spend their time doing it even if they're not getting paid well um, I mean and it's hard for them to imagine that well it, this is people's lives and their livelihoods um, so of course people are going to be very passionate about it um, this is a life-changing thing for a lot of people and I think people disregard that um, to some people to uh, the anti-THR people I think it, it looks like fun or it looks like nonsense but um, to, to them people who've reduced smoking or stopped smoking should be suffering or not doing that yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's a really interesting thing because, you know, for especially for those in the early days, um, vaping wasn't nearly as easy. You know, there there weren't shops that you could go to. You were kind of buying a pig and a poke mm-hmm. because everything was online. There there were no brick and mortars back in the the early days, and all the information that you would get was off the internet and um, you know things have really changed pretty remarkably and I don't think that the anti-e-cigarette folks ever expected it to take off like this I think they expected that they were just these weird little fake novelty items you know like a wooden cigarette that people might use as a prop to you know kind of hold or whatever and they never really thought that it would take off and by the time it became clear that it was taking off um, you know the horse was actually out of the barn and you know that's what the advocacy has been since the inception was fighting hard enough to stay alive to continue to fight another day because we almost got shut down oh, yeah. in 2009-2010 I, I don't think a lot of the newer people realize just how close we came to having the whole thing just completely shut down um, yeah it was it was pretty bad actually um, oh, oh yeah, and, we were saving our crappy atomizers, you know, the, the old atomizers, we were, we were saving them thinking, cause this was well before anybody was making atomizers in the U S mm-hmm. you know, or rebuilding atomizers. Yeah. Um, they hadn't even thought yeah. of a rebuildable. Oh yeah. It was, it was just beyond anybody's conception back then. And, and so we were saving all these crappy little atomizers thinking, you know, if worse comes to worse, maybe we can learn how to rebuild them. I, it's just such a different universe. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of times I'll hear people, you know, complain about advocates today, you know, that people don't want to do the advocacy and advocacy isn't now what it was back in the day. And um, I, I think there's probably a little bit of truth to that. Certainly in the beginning, we had a higher concentration of the vaping population was pretty diehard right. and um, pretty motivated. But that's because we had a different breed in the beginning. Those were all of the outliers who were willing to try something really strange. And, um, you know, like I said, it wasn't super easy for a lot of people because the equipment was just so poor. I mean, batteries that would last 15 to 20 minutes and then you'd have to recharge it. Yeah. order 10 atomizers and four would arrive dead on arrival and and oh yeah no the the tech in the beginning was absolutely horrible i I think people don't really know how bad it was because 
people like um, Cisco and and other people with their work on low resistance really did. Um, oh my goodness, they, that was a game changer. It really was. And oh, yeah. People don't know. People don't know. They don't no, know how they, lucky they are. I remember back um, when the first variable. Um, well, it wasn't for it was variable voltage was first coming out, and you know it was the fist pack, right? You remember oh, yes. that? Not. And um, I remember all these people talking about, you know, I remember when, you know, in order to change my voltage, I'd have to change my batteries, you know, because <laughs> yeah, we, we were stacking batteries back then too to change. Um, yeah, I try not to even think about some of the things we did back then. But I was sitting there thinking, well, I remember back in the days when we simply didn't change our voltage because there was just no way to do it oh, unless yeah. you built your own mod. Oh, um, sure. And 16, it was with batteries. Stacking 16 340s. Oh, yeah. They're oh, yeah. the most useless battery I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Why the hell anybody... Ever thought, but it was awesome hey, at the time. Hey, I'm going to take I remember that. Shit that I, I only was, lasts I was 30 minutes. And, yeah. um, oh, no, I've since I gotten rid of all of those. Yeah, I hated them. Yeah. Um, oh, I loved it. <laughs> For the first time, I was getting a, a powerful tape. Well, but, most of the stuff yeah. we had, I think it barely even vaporized the liquid. Oh, yeah. Which was probably not optimal for what but we were doing. That was when low resistance... Was anything below 2.2. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But that was a game changer because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, instead of, you know, everybody was chasing the 5-volt experience, mm -hmm. right? And instead of doing that, you could pair a low-resistance atomizer with a 3.7 battery. And all of a sudden, you know, life was good. You, you got the same type of vape as you could with um, more batteries and all of that stuff. So it really was a game changer, and that was the end of the stacked batteries. Thank yeah. you. Because um, I don't think we really realized at the time, um, you know, all the potential problems. And, of course, we realize now, and I think people are developing a very healthy respect. Do you remember when, when Cisco brought out the HH? Do you remember how much people had an absolute shit fit about the cost of an HH-357? Right. Oh, yeah. Do you know that I still have my HH-357 and that atomizer still works exactly like it did? It hasn't even lost 0.1 in resistance? Wow. Yeah, that's my. That's all I use, really. I always buy, like, the, the cool, fun things and all that, but my all-day vape is an HH-357, and um, my atomizers last, on average, somewhere between six months to two years, wow. and, and that's using them every single day. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. But I just, I just remember how much of a fit everybody had about the price of them. But oh, yeah, we've got, they were like, we, what, $20, $25 or something? Yeah, and, but we've got rebuildable atomizers now that are hundreds yeah. of dollars. Well, don't you remember yeah. what and, the atomizers cost in the beginning? Yes, I <laughs> you do, know, I'm really, not talking about I used any to premium atomizer. No. I'm talking about, you know, the 510s or whatever. They were like nine ninety nine. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. even kidding you, Julie. I killed nine atomizers in seven days once. Oh, yeah, I well. It. Back then, I don't think the quality control was even all that great either. No, because I, really I don't. Wasn't. I don't think what China came out with was what we were using them for. 
you know, um, so. No, but it's it's interesting because I think, you know, of course now I, I feel like one of those old people. Yeah, get off my you know, lawn. Walk, you know, I, I had to walk to school two miles in the snow up way, up, <laughs> uphill both ways. And, um, you know, but I, I think that people still really care about this. But, yeah. you know, we had a higher concentration of the diehards early on. And, um, but I, I think people really do care. And they're just looking for help in terms of, you know, how to get involved, how to get their, their voice heard. Um, but very few people want to spend much time at all doing that. Yeah, oh, and sure. I, I don't think, you know, I mean, and it's not the whole we walked uphill, you know, two miles back and forth from school <laughs> each way in three feet of snow barefoot. I think it's a little bit more that we have a greater appreciation for where we're at in vaping right now because yeah. we came from there. Yeah. Where new well, people it's... just walking in take this for granted. I should be able to get a 150-watt box mod for $69. You know, they, well, they expect that because they've never known any different. Yeah. Well, and, and it's almost impossible to look at the incredible diversity out there. You know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of different types <laughs> of liquids from different manufacturers, different devices hitting. I mean, it used to be in the day that you could keep up with all the new devices because there weren't tons of them yeah. now it would be impossible but it's impossible right now to look at all that diversity and and think that it could all go away um and i think what people really need to appreciate is that the way the regulations are shaping up um it won't go away completely we'll have a black market um which I find rather horrifying because a black market is inherently not a very safe environment. Mm. It's certainly better than the alternative, but we'll always have a black market. And the other thing is we'll have the sigil likes. Mm. You know, it, it, it would be impossible for the FDA to set something in motion that would um, ban every single bit of e-cigarette hardware and liquid out there it would be impossible there would be an uprising mm -hmm. but they can set it up so that only if you get through the process and those would be the ones with the money and the closed systems and so we'd all be looking at sigalikes on the um, legitimate market and yeah. then you know everything else would be black and gray market and um, it could happen yeah. which is well, why we need to keep fighting um, but they don't yeah. believe it <laughs> They, they just, they don't believe it. They're like, oh, you know, FDA doesn't have authority to do that, or FDA wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, I get calls all the time from vendors saying, so what is this? I heard that FDA might be regulating e-cigarettes. Yeah, it's just like, oh. But, and, you know, the other thing, too, is in the beginning, we skewed older in the demographics, mm -hmm. Now we're skewing younger, and which is which is a good thing because I look at it as, wow, if I had made the switch in my twenties, right, I, I would be so much better off. I mean, my my health has dramatically improved, but I will never be a never smoker. I've done some damage that's not going to be repaired. So I'd rather see people switch early rather than later. So I'm very happy to see our demographics skewing younger, but the, right flip side is the younger people don't seem to um 
because they don't have all the health problems that lifelong smokers had, they also, they'll see some benefits, but maybe not as miraculous mm-hmm. as those benefits seem to those of us who were smoking for decades. Yeah, and the big uh, thing is, with that younger demographic, we, we have to acknowledge that with every younger demographic of anything, they all or a great portion of them are still under that I'm six foot tall and bulletproof. Oh yeah, I was. Thing. Yeah. And I mean and and that's not you know, and I'm not saying it's it's of that age demographic. That's just mm-hmm. that's the reality in the world in real life, not just for us. Um, yeah. you know And I, I don't 20s, think all of them are like think... that. I don't want to bash the the youngsters, but you know, I will say honestly that I always thought that I'd quit smoking by the time I was old, and of course, old was thirty. Yeah, you know, old. And, but that old was, was thirty. That was thirty was us, just you know? impossibly old. Yeah, and, and I'm not complaining about the young kids. I'm just saying happen. that that is that is a common thing with people in that age group. Um, I was that way when I was in that age group. You know, I didn't think that abusing my body racing motorcycles and shit was was ever going to make me ache and hurt well (laughs) yeah i was wrong i also thought my metabolism would always stay good and i'd say then that ship sailed but you know here's the thing i meet lots of young people who are very passionate about this um and maybe their their passion is in slightly different format than mine like they're passionate about all the choices and the social aspects um and the devices and the cool rebuildings and and there's nothing wrong with that right you know there there's something about this that appeals to a pretty wide demographic it's just different things for different people mm-hmm. um so i'm i'm happy that we're skewing younger i'm i'm really happy um I hope I don't sound like I'm telling kids to get off my lawn because some of, <laughs> some of the youngsters are some of our most passionate advocates and they're just coming at it from a slightly different area. But we don't have as many of those as right. we do um, percentage-wise of our older population because the older population is the one that couldn't get up the flight of stairs without pausing mm-hmm. to catch their breath. True. I also think... Um your older population has seen things regulated out of existence before. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've we've lived the history. But in any event, I don't know how long have we been on cuz I my goal was not to do more than 15 minutes. Oh, you're uh, always barking it. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. Uh, the, the lengthy <laughs> podcast. I I did that, didn't I? I went over 15 minutes. That's, that's okay. Um, it was it, it's a rarity to have you on. Oh, well, so, I, I appreciate it. I'm sorry Alex wasn't here to give the, the legislative update such as it is, but this week we should be coming out with um, an FDA call to action as right. well as um, some stuff for California because oh. poor California. Uh, um, but fortunately, yeah. California advocates are very active and busy, and California is well represented. Um, so. Yeah. We've got that going, and um, hopefully I'll see some folks at ECC. I've got a busy travel schedule coming up for the next few months. Yeah, so do. Yeah, yeah, but it's always nice seeing people. I mean, I I really enjoy it. Um, So anybody who's going to any of these events, um, 
if if there's a Kasabu, stop by because I sometimes get very lonely because we don't give out the free stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We're not throwing out free e-liquid and stuff like that. Um, But but the people who do come by, it's just such a pleasure. Such a pleasure to visit with them. Anyway, thanks, ladies. Any uh, any quick question for me before I beg Um, off and let you guys get back to your your show? No. Thank you for coming on. It was it was great. It was great. And it was good to talk about how much advocacy has changed in the past versus now. So Yeah, I I just I I want to say one thing. Okay. And and this means that the next time you and Alex go way over, I can't say anything. But (laughs) um I think a lot of times there is a desire to shame people into mm-hmm. advocacy um, and to beat them up and all of that. And right. I personally don't think that's very helpful at all. I think people should be led to advocacy by feeling empowered and understanding what's at stake. Right. But guilting people into it isn't going to affect any long-term change. Oh, um, no. You know, they've got to just feel it for themselves. And it's our job to help them understand how important it is and, and how much of a difference they can make. Yeah. So anyway, exactly. One person can make a huge difference. Oh, let me tell you one Mm -hmm. person talking to one legislator Mm -hmm. can make a huge difference. Um, so we, we need to tell our stories and we need to not be bashful about it. And we need to find the time and energy to do it, even though it seems like an unending, unending job, but there you go. Anyway, that's it. Thanks ladies. And I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you, Julie. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.